Well, good morning, IEC. It's uh, good to see everyone this uh, morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Steve Winstead, and we are in a study uh, walking through the book of Ruth. Ruth is one of only two books in the Bible named after a woman. In fact, it's the only book in the Old Testament named after a Gentile. So it's truly a, a unique book that we're journeying through, and God has a lot to say to us in this short little four-chapter book. Last week, what we saw in the first 18 verses was this man named Elimelech. His name means, my God is king, yet what we saw is he didn't live like God was king. Elimelech, when trouble hit, he ran to the land of Moab, a nation that worshipped a cruel false god, Chemosh, and his thought was, life will be better. Things are going to be okay if I go to Moab. I can take matters into my own hand and we'll be good. How often do we think like that? How often do we ever think like, oh, I know the solution and I'm going to go fix it before we ever consult God. And Elimelech does that. He takes matters into his own hand and he goes and for 10 years, he said he was just going to sojourn 10 years in the land of Moab. And while things may have been good for a while, in the end, it ends in heartache, destruction, death. Elimelech dies, his two boys die, and his widowed wife, Naomi, is left with no one except two Moabite daughter-in-laws. So Naomi does, and I love this, Naomi is so honest about where she is. She's not one who tries to hide or minimize her sin or her rebellion or the consequence of those. If you're like me, when I'm confronted with my sin, I often like to excuse it, to minimize it, to find some way not to feel the weight and the gravity of our sin. But Naomi takes it in and she does something that is beautiful. She does a very physical act of repentance. She turns and goes back to the people of God. She goes back to God and back to God's people. And let me tell you, if you were to say, what's the clearest mark that someone is converted? You see, uh, we don't believe that you become a Christian just by being born into a Christian family. We don't believe you're a Christian because you show up at church, because you speak a certain way, because you do certain practices. No, a Christian is someone who has been renewed. They've been born again. They're a, literally a new creation. When we come to Christ, everything about us is new except these bodies. These bodies are falling apart. They're not getting better. We can exercise, work out, seek to delay it, but ultimately these bodies are marching toward death and we long and wait for the day when Jesus will come and give us a new body and renew this earth. It's a reminder that that's where we are headed. And I believe the clearest mark of a follower of Christ is that when they are confronted with their sin, they turn and run back to Jesus. 
They confess their sin. That's what we do when we see our sin. It hurts. It stings. It's a weight to our sin because it separates us from God Almighty and we turn and go back to Him. And Ruth here, she has been confronted with the weight of what her and her husband have done and she goes back to Bethlehem, back to the people of God. Maybe there's some of you here today. Maybe you recognize the sin in your life. You know, we often want to minimize and ignore sin in our life. Come back to Jesus. Amen. He'll always bring you. Come back to the people of God and turn from your sin. And that's what Naomi does here. And she comes back to Bethlehem and she's got these two, she's walking with two Moabite girls, 50 mile journey, halfway through, she gives them a warning six times. I got nothing for you. You follow me, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And Ruth counts the cost and follows. Ruth means to cling, and in that glorious verse, she clings. She says, your God is my God. Your people are my people. And that's what a follower of the one true God does. We embrace the people of God. Amen. We embrace God Almighty. We're a, we're a unique group of people, and God calls us together to love one another and to encourage one another. And that's where she heads back. And what's interesting is we see an Old Testament picture of discipleship in Naomi. Naomi to Ruth. And oftentimes those that we disciple, that we invest in, I'm often surprised at those who really are faithful. Sometimes the, the least likely candidate, I'll have a group of guys I'll start meeting with, and I'll be like, that person probably won't be faithful, and the Lord will surprise me, and they'll be amazingly faithful, and the person I would expect to be the most faithful won't be. And I think here, Naomi is returning with this Moabite woman who's become a follower of the God of Israel. And I don't think that's what she thought she would return like. She thought when she returned to be with her husband, with her sons, with her, their wives, and with grandchildren, that she would return triumphant. Instead, she's turning quite broken and quite in a hard spot. So today in our passage, we've got a long passage again. It's actually a little longer than last week. But... It's a glorious passage, and I want us to read it because if there's anybody we're going to hear from, I want us to hear from the Word of God. So if you would please stand. We're going to read uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through chapter 2, verse 13. The words will be on the screen if um, you don't have your Bible with you or if you have a different translation. This is the English Standard Version. Hear the Word of our Lord. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I find favor. 
And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And after uh, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to the young, my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, Go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. What we're going to discuss in this passage and what we're going to see in this passage today is fairly simple. We're going to see first this man named Boaz show up on the scene. Right at the beginning of chapter 2, the hero of this story emerges. And Boaz is an Old Testament shadow of the coming Messiah. You see, God in His sovereignty and in His goodness throughout the Old Testament in real life stories gives shadows and types of what the Messiah will look like. And Boaz most certainly is one of those glorious shadows and types of the coming Jesus Christ. We're also going to see described in this passage. We're going to get a description of how the will of God plays out in the life of of faithful men and women. We're going to be looking at how, how do we know the will of God? We're going to see that play out right before us in the life of this young woman who trusts the God of Israel named Ruth. So in verse 19, our first verse for today, we see Naomi and Ruth show up in Bethlehem and the whole town is astir. Can you imagine? Naomi went away wealthy. She went away with husband and children, and now she returns broken, poor, 
in a desperate situation. She returns 10 years later. Nobody's seen her. Nobody may have even heard from her. And she not only returns broken, she returns with a Moabite. And an Israelite would look and say, you brought a Moabite with you? They worship the God of Chemosh. Why would you do that? Can you imagine the gossip going on in Bethlehem? Can you just, can you feel what Naomi felt coming into town as everybody's talking about her and saying, is, is this the same Naomi? Gosh, 10 years have been hard on her. And Naomi in verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Naomi's the only person I know of in the Bible to change their own name. God's always in the business of changing names. God takes a person and sees where they are and says, follow me and here's what I'll do with you. You're called Simon, which means shaky. I'll turn you into a rock, Peter. He takes Levi, changes him to Matthew, Saul to Paul. But here Naomi changed her own name because her situations went from pleasant to bitter. And again, Naomi's very harsh, but she's very direct with what's going on. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She's confessing, in a sense, her sin, that she's left the Lord, and now she's returned to the people of God. She doesn't say the calamities come of any other account than her rebellion against the Lord. That's what's brought it. She's facing the consequence of her sin. Brother and sister in Christ, know this. Our sin is completely forgiven in Jesus Christ. There's no sin you can commit that would cause Jesus to have a sin upon him. You're secure in him. But don't miss this. Our sin has consequence on earth. And that's what she's declaring here. In verse 22, we see it says twice. It says, so Naomi returned with Ruth the Moabite. And then it says that they returned from Moab. It's emphasizing that they have been somewhere that they ought not be. Christian, know this. It's so easy and tempting to think going to the world will make things easier. And it may for a little while. Things may taste good. They may seem better for a moment, but that moment will end because there's nowhere else to go other than Christ. Amen. And if you're here today and, and you're visiting and you're not a believer, we're so glad you're here. We pray that the Holy Spirit will awaken you, awaken you to the truth that there's nowhere else to go than Jesus Christ. 28 promise that God works all things, God works all things, not some things, all things together for good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. I'll tell you, that verse is hard for me because I I look around and I go, God, how are you going to use this for good? How are you going to use this pain and the sorrow and these hard situations for good? I do not get it, God. We believe it and we trust and we wait. Because sometimes we won't see how God is weaving all the hurts, the pains and the sorrows together for our good and for His glory until we get to the other side of eternity. But there is occasion, there are times when God will allow us on this side of eternity to see how the pain and the sorrow and the tragedy and the struggle weave together for good. Sometimes He does that. In the story of Ruth, we get that. We get to see how God takes the pain and the struggle and the tragedy that's happening and He's going to turn it on its head for both the good of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and for God's own glory. 
And that's how God's always working. So in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man. Now that word worthy should cause us to pause and go, What makes a man worthy? Well, there's a true, there's a sense in which we are all made in the image of God. That's where our worth and value come from. But we're also, because of the fall, we are called children of the enemy until we repent of our sin and trust Christ. So a person's worth does not come from themselves. We cannot create our own worth and value. That's why so many people struggle living in the world because they think they can find worth from the things out here. Oh, you'll never find worth out there. You'll never find worth in and of yourself. The one place worth comes is from God giving you worth. God giving you weight, giving you value. That idea of worth, here's the idea of weight. Something has weight to it. The idea of worth, we get our word worship from it. That's what we come here to do on Sundays. As a church, as the people of God, we come to worship God Almighty, the Creator. We do it in song. We do it in hearing God's Word proclaimed. We worship Him because tomorrow you're going to go out, we're going to scatter, and we're going to be the church scattered. And we're going to face challenges. And we're going to face difficulties. And you're going to work with people that are difficult. And we need to be reminded that we're part of the people of God. And that He's redeemed us and He loves us and He's made us. That's where your worth comes from. When we come to worship God, we're saying, God, you alone are worthy. You're worthy of praise, honor, and glory. Nothing else is. Forgive me, God, for how I put other things on a pedestal that they shouldn't be on. So here this man comes. He's a worthy man. He's a godly man. And he comes from the clan of Elimelech, which is um, soon as a Jewish person heard that, they would go, oh, this is about to get interesting. This isn't just any dude. He's a dude from the clan of Elimelech. And you see, God set up the nation of Israel not just as his people, but as a nation with a government. And part of that government is if a man died and had no children, a kinsman redeemer could marry that woman and the next child born would be credited to the dead man. Sounds a bit peculiar, but that's the way God arranged it so that no one ever lost their inheritance. No one ever lost their land rights. So, a kinsman redeemer, if you were a family member and you were having financial difficulties, you could go to a kinsman redeemer in your family and say, I'll sell you my land. And they would pay you whatever the land was worth up into the year of Jubilee, which happened every 50 years. So every 50 years there was a reset. The land went back to the people it was supposed to. So God had developed this to keep things from ever getting in disarray, from one person amassing far more than anybody else. It's a method of God's people taking care of God's people. And that's how God has always arranged it. As the people of God, we're to care for, love, and meet the needs of one another. We know that. That's what Scripture tells us to do. And here we're going to see this man named Boaz show up. And in verse 2, it says, Ruth the Moabite. And here's what you're going to see in these next few verses with Ruth. We're going to see the will of God descriptively play out in her life. You see, when we talk about the will of God, uh, we're usually talking about one of three areas. First is what we call the moral will of God. This is one that most Christians don't struggle with too much. 
In, in Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, it says that we are to, be, uh, we are to flee, to flee sexual immorality, that this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. That God's will for us is that we be holy, that we be pure, that we be righteous, that we seek Him. That's God's will. We can understand God's will pretty clear. Most Christians don't struggle with that too much. The second area of God's will is His providential will, or, or you could say His sovereign will. These are things are going to happen no matter what you and I do. God's plan will be accomplished. Jesus Christ is returning. You can't stop it. One day, every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather at the throne of Jesus Christ. We look forward to it. That's going to happen. God's providential will will carry on. Nothing we can do to prevent it. But here's what most Christians want to know. God, what's, what's, what's your will for me? What, what's... What's my individual will, God? What, what do you want from me? What, 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 what am I to do with this limited slice of time I have here on earth? And believe me, in light of eternity, we're given a nanosecond here on earth. What do you want me to do with it, God? What's your will for me? That's where Christians struggle. And oftentimes Christians can get a little bit goofy on trying to understand the will of God. You see, the will of God is not some path that we go and discover. We're looking for the path. If I can just find the right path, then I'll know. The, the will of God is, is not something that we look and we go, God, I need you to, to reveal it to me. I'm going to go find it. We don't find the will of God. It's not a scavenger hunt. No, the will of God boils down to a heart attitude that's willing to be led. You see, most Christians don't struggle with right-wrong decisions. We may make a lot of wrong decisions, but looking back, we can tell they were a wrong decision. We can usually determine right-wrong pretty easily. What we struggle with is right-left. Do I go this way or that way? This college or that college? This city or that city? This job or that job? That person or this person? That's where we struggle. And I'll tell you, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about a person's individual will. There's no great passage on understanding God's individual will for your life. Why? Because God wants our heart to be led by Him and to step out on faith. God's not going to show you, most likely, what your life's going to look like 10 years from now. He's just going to say, walk by faith today, and tomorrow we'll do the same. And you're going to look up one day, and you're not going to say, God, how did I end up here? You're going to look and go, God, how, how did I end up here? How did you use my life for your purposes and your glory? It's in the daily obedience of following God. He's not going to tell you your, His will for your life most likely. It's going to be walked out in day-to-day -day obedience, a heart attitude that's being willing to be led. That great proverb that so many of us know, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight as you trust in the Lord leaning not on your own understanding God as you journey through life he begins to make your path straight in scripture you don't see God ever chasing a person for right left decisions he does for right wrong but not right left trust the Lord be obedient to him trust him with what he's got before you today one of the things I've discovered oftentimes with people trying to discover God's will is they'll get stuck. I've heard it said you cannot steer a parked car. Step out in faith one step at a time. And God will direct and guide you.
We trust him and follow him to give us the guidance and the wisdom. So here, listen to what Ruth says. Back to verse 2. We're going to see the will of God play out in her life. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go in the field and glean in the ears of him who I, whose sight I shall find favor. She says, I want to go work and here's my hope. Naomi, please let me go glean. And where I want to work is someone whose sight I find favor. That's what she's looking for. That's her hope. That's her prayer. Notice some things about Ruth. She's very polite. She says, please. She's submissive to authority. She cares for her family. She's doing basic things well that a follower of God does. And notice this. She's going to go work hard. Gleaning is not easy work. God in His economy, He had designed things this way, where if you had a field and you planted a crop, you could harvest most of the crop, but you always left the corners and the edges for the poor and needy. Again, in Scripture, God always has a way to care for those in need. And God had a way of doing that. And gleaning is really tough work. It's not easy. It's risky. It's hard. And Ruth says, let me go glean to take care of you, Naomi. One of the things I love about Ruth is she is hardworking. She's not afraid of a little hard work. You see, God calls us that whatever we do, we're to work at it. For the Christian, we are to be hard workers. Work is a pre-fall thing. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was work in the garden. The problem we have is we live on this side of the fall. And because of that, work becomes difficult. We work with other sinful people. We work with people who often have no relationship with the Lord. And sometimes we work with Christians and we may expect them to act like that, but they're still struggling in their sanctification process. God is working on all of us. But wherever a Christian works, things should get better. Things should always get better when a Christ follower shows up in the workplace. Because we don't work for our own glory. We don't even work for our direct supervisor, though we'll submit to them. Scripture tells us who we work for in Colossians 3, 20, uh, 3 23 and 24. says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Whatever. It doesn't say if you like your job. It doesn't say if you have your dream job. It doesn't say if, if you have an easy day or you work with easy people. It says whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Whatever we do, we work at it, and we work on it not only with all our heart, we work at it with a great joy because we're serving the Lord. Whenever a Christian shows up in the workplace, everybody around them should go, praise the Lord. Things are going to be good. Even the non-believers, that should be a part of the testimony. I'll tell you, one of the sad things about the testimony of the body of Christ in the church is that often we go out in the workplace and we feel we should be treated a certain way. We feel we should be getting certain things. We look to the people beside us to our left and our right and go, why don't I have those? And we feel justified to not work as hard as we could. No, God calls us to glorify Him and honor Him and how we work. And that's what uh, Ruth does. We see she's given signs of a follower of God. And she's going to go work hard in the fields reaping. One of the things I found in sports, when you hear a coach talk about their team, their favorite player isn't always the best player. 
Most coaches' favorite player is the one who shows up on time, often shows up early. They may not be the most talented, but they work hard. They obey the coach. They are diligent. That's what gets rewarded. And here we see that's how we're to be. Whatever we do, work at it. And Ruth goes and does that. So I'm going to show you some, some ways here that we begin to see the will of God play out in Ruth's life. Look at what happens next. Verse 3. It says, She happened, divine coincidence, happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now we've just been told Boaz is of her family, of the clan of Elimelech, and she just happens to show up there. Divine coincidence. That's how God often leads His people. Just how it happened. Look at this next. Verse 4. Boaz happens to show up. He comes from Bethlehem. The implication is he wasn't coming there every day, but that day he came from Bethlehem into the fields surrounding Bethlehem and showed up. And I love how Boaz greets his workers. He says, The Lord bless you. Wouldn't you love to work in a place where whoever's in charge or the, the boss comes in and they say, the Lord bless you. And everybody says, the Lord be with you. That's how Boaz comes into the room. But he happened. Divine coincidence. He just happened to come to the field the day that Ruth is working there. In verse 5, it says, Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose woman in this? is this, Boaz happens to notice Ruth, this woman he hasn't seen before, working out in the field. Now I know what some of you may be thinking. Boaz is an older man. We can tell that from the way the text is written, that he's an older man. Ruth is a younger woman. Of course he's going to take notice of this young woman. Well, I, I don't think that's quite what's going on here. It may be, but I think more. Uh, Ruth's been working all day long, we're going to see. She's hot, she's sweaty, she's a mess. And he notices this girl working diligently, faithfully, and he wants to know, what is this girl's story? Who is this girl that's coming and working so hard? I don't think Boaz is thinking, hey, I hope this girl will be interested in me. I think he's just going, who is she? That's coming to work. So he asks his servant, and guess what? It just so happens the servant has noticed her, and it just so happens that the servant has heard her story. He's asked what's up with her, and he says, hey, she came with Naomi from the country of Moab. She's worked all day long except for a short break. You see, Ruth's testimony is that a faithful work where the Lord has her. Let me tell you this. If you can't be faithful in the field the Lord has you in now, He's probably not going to move you to another field. Be faithful where He has you. Because some people are looking going, oh, I'd rather be somebody else, somewhere else, or do something else, or be somewhere else. No, you be faithful right where God has got you. And He'll move you on to what's next. Trust Him. And Ruth is faithful right where she is. So it just so happens that the servant has noticed. Now, in verse 8, it says, Boaz said to Ruth, so Boaz begins to speak to her. Now listen, my daughter. Now look at that. That tells you how he viewed her. Boaz, an older man, younger woman. He views her as if he would a daughter at this point. He says, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. A couple things here. You've got a bunch of Israelite women that are destitute, working the field. They're gleaners. And they see this Moabite girl show up. Do you think they're going to like that? 
Do you think there might have been some gossip and some things going on there? No, Boaz goes, hey, listen, girls, don't talk about this Moabite girl. I've heard about her. She's one of us now. She trusts the one true God. She's part of the family. Welcome her in. And, and notice he, he also says, don't go to another field. You're good here. I've got you. One of the temptations of those who grow up in the church or have heard the gospel often is to think that there's another field that's better. Maybe if I just went and saw the field over there, the field of the world or the field of some other false religion or something else, maybe things will work out better there. Maybe people will be nicer. Maybe they'll act the way I expect them to. I'll tell you, there's no other field to go to. They will all ultimately come up empty. You see, one thing that's beautiful about the church is we're not perfect people, but we worship a perfect Savior. And we're all in the midst of our own sanctification, so we extend each other grace as we sin against one another. We forgive one another. That's what we do. That's part of what we practice. That's what makes the church beautiful. It's not that we're all so wonderful and so perfect. It's that when we see our sin, we confess it to one another. Brother, I've sinned against you. Forgive me. And the brother says, in the name of Christ, I forgive you because I too have sinned against my brothers. And he says, there's nowhere else to go. Church, there's nowhere else to go. We're in the right place. The body of Christ is where we belong. And he says in verse 9, let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them. Be faithful where you are. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He is protecting. He's providing. He's doing what Jesus does for us. Stay in my field. Be among my people. They'll help take care of you. They're not a perfect people. Stay in that field. I'll protect. I'll provide for you. I'll meet your needs. And listen to what Ruth says to all this. He's told the young men not to mess with her. and He's told the young men to give her water and take care of her. And in verse 10, she falls down with her face to the ground and says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you take notice of me as if I'm a foreigner? That's how we're to be. When we see the grace that God has given us, God has forgiven us our sin. He's reconciled us to himself. And let me tell you, the good news of the gospel should never grow old or stale for the Christian. It's not, oh, I've heard that. Tell me what else there is. No. Go live in light of the gospel. All of your issues in life are gospel issues. You haven't trusted the gospel in that area. You haven't allowed God to press in the good news that he has reconciled and redeemed you in that area. All our issues are gospel issues. That's the solution. We keep coming back to the gospel. We don't grow out of the gospel. We don't mature past the gospel. No, we mature in the gospel and live out the gospel and continually come back to it. Do you ever stop to think, God has redeemed me? God has saved me. Why, why would you save me, God? I don't, I don't deserve it. I've done nothing to, to earn it. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. There's nothing about me you'd want. Why have you saved a foreigner like me? Why have you saved a Gentile like me? Why have you saved a child of the enemy like me, God? And we fall down and worship. When we come each week to worship as a church, that's what we're reminded of. We're reminded that we worship a living God who's redeemed us, and we need to continually be reminded of that because this whole world wants you to forget where your worth and value comes from. It wants you to forget that you're a redeemed child of God. And Ruth here 
She says, why have I found favor in your eyes? Do you remember her request to Naomi? Let me go glean in a field in whose eyes I find favor. God answered her prayer. She prayed, will I find favor somewhere? And here she's found favor in the field of Boaz. God just happens to place her in the field of her kinsman redeemer. He happens to show up. He happens to notice her. The servant happens to notice her. He happens to talk to her. And she recognizes, I don't deserve this. When a Christian starts to think that they deserve something, they are living outside the good news of the gospel. Okay? We got far more than we ever deserved in Jesus Christ, and He is sufficient and He's enough. We don't need anything else. God says He'll take care of your, your physical needs. He'll provide for you like the lilies of the field and the birds there. He's going to take care of you. We don't need much else. We just need to come back to Jesus. So when you start thinking, I need something else, that should be a warning bell. I'm starting to step outside the trust and the hope and the beauty of the gospel. And we return. And here we see she's like, why have I found favor? She's amazed. She falls down. And Boaz says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law. Boaz, her reputation precedes her. Christian, we should want a good reputation. Not so that we have a good reputation, but so that our lives glorify God. We want to honor Him, to glorify Him. And he says, The full reward will be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. You've come to rest under the Lord. He recognizes you're a child of God. Like a chick takes her chicklets under her wing, God is taking you, Ruth, under His wing, and He's going to take care of you. He's got you. You're going to be okay. He's going to protect you. That's where you find refuge. This world offers you no refuge. Only Jesus. And in verse 13, Ruth responds. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. God, I didn't start off as a servant of God. I started off as a servant of the devil. We don't like hearing that. That sounds stark. It's biblical. We were children of the enemy, serving him. And until God awakens us to life in Christ, then we become his servants. And Ruth's recognizing, I've become your servant now. Why? I wasn't your servant now. You've brought me in, and God brings us in. I know there's some here today that you may think being a Christian is being born into a certain family. Like being a Christian is an ethnicity, you know, or it's a nationality. It's not. You can't be born as a Christian. No. You're awakened from death to life by Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts you and awakens you to your wretchedness, and you go, Oh, hopeless am I. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. And there's here, some here today. In any room this size, there's always people that. Don't know the Lord. Know that He's waiting for you with open arms, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will awaken you. And there's others here that are Christians, and we're often looking to our left and our right at other people going, why, why isn't my life like theirs, or why isn't my life like theirs? I want that, instead of walking in obedience and God revealing His will for us.
What God has called you to isn't what he's called the person next to you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to direct you. So do I know God's will for my life? Not fully. No, I don't. God hasn't revealed that much to me. I don't know what's going to be 5, 10, 20 years from now. I don't know. But here's what I do know. And here's what I desire. Whatever the Lord sets before me, I want to work at it with all my heart. I want to be faithful with what the Lord puts before me. I, I, I want to be a loyal friend to those that God allows me to have a relationship with. I, I want to be a faithful husband. I want to be a faithful father. I, I want to obey the Word of God. I want to pray daily and pray regularly. And when I see something, turn to the Lord. I want to watch my speech and how I speak to others. I want to apologize quickly when I sin and repent. And I want to do like Romans 12, 2 says. I want to renew my mind daily on the things of God. Then I can test and approve what God's will is. Daily we come and renew our mind on the things of God. Then we begin to see God's will. And he shows us one more step, one more step, one more step. And divine coincidence after divine coincidence, he leads us. That's how God works. And I don't do that perfectly. Probably never will. Not this side of eternity. But I desire, church, to have a heart attitude that's willing to be led by the Almighty. And I pray that that's what you have. And I pray that as we do, we'll never look up and go, how did I end up wasting my life? I think we'll look and we go, how did God take my life, the wretch I am, and use it for anything good in His glory? I have to tell you, church, it's... Um, I didn't picture myself being here. Uh, a year ago, a year ago today, I was in uh, Egypt. And I went for a walk with a guy I've discipled for several years. And he began to ask me questions as he often does. He's a very inquisitive guy. And he said, hey, do you, do you ever see yourself doing anything different? And I was like, oh, I love what I do. I was working at a church, missions pastor. I mean, I, I was doing everything I love. And I said, one thing I think that I desire to do, Lord willing, one day, is I want to be a lead pastor. But I don't think I want to do it in the United States. I want to go somewhere else. I want to be out of the country. And then I told him, I said, I think it's a ways down the road. Maybe when my kids are graduated or something. I think it's a few years down the road. And the next morning, I sat at breakfast across the table from a, a friend and mentor of mine. And he looked at me and he goes, hey, man, you ever think about moving out of the country? And I'm like, of course. I think about it all the time. So, but the Lord's just never put the right, right time before me. He looks at me and goes, it's the best thing you'll do for your kids. And I was like, all right, Lord. Maybe, maybe I don't need to wait for my kids to graduate before I do this. And coincidence after coincidence after coincidence over the past year has led me here. It's divine coincidence. And Margaret and I reached a point, I remember us looking at each other, we went for a walk and we said, how will we know if this is where God is leading us? I said, I don't know, but he'll tell us. Two weeks later, we went for another walk and I asked Margaret, I said, you think God's leading us to go to Ethiopia and go to that church I see? And Margaret swallowed hard and said, I absolutely does, do. And we said, the only way he's not leading us is if he doesn't tell us to go. 
So church, I tell you, God leads and He directs. All we can do is take faithful steps and trust Him. I don't know how many days I have here on this earth. They may be few, they may be many more, but I know in light of eternity they're few. But I do know this. I want to live my days for His glory. When I stand before uh, God, I want to say, God, I spent it for you as best I could. I know I'm imperfect. Now I want to look to my left and right and see brothers and sisters that I've labored with from around the world and that we get to laugh and rejoice that God takes messed up people like us and uses them for His purpose. Brother and sister, I pray that we will continually taste those divine experiences, coincidences, and walk in obedience to the Lord who has called us to Himself. That is good news. Let's pray. Jesus, you alone are worthy of praise. You are worthy of glory. You are worthy of honor. And Lord, we confess that our lives so often fall short. Lord, I confess I get tempted to chase after the rabbits of this world. They'll never satisfy. So Lord, I pray like Ruth of old that we, the church, would be people that would work diligently with what you put before us until you show us what's next. And Lord, that through divine coincidence you would continue to reveal your will for our lives. And Lord, may we know the most important thing is that we have a heart that's willing to be led, a heart that's willing to, to follow you and you guide and you direct and you lead and you're good and you're gracious. Lord, there's some here today who have not trusted you. I don't know who they are. And Lord, I cannot awaken a dead person to life. Only your spirit and the gospel truth that while sinners, you've come to rescue us through your perfect sacrifice of Jesus. So if there are any here today, Lord, I pray that you'd waken them to life. And Lord, for the Christian, for the Christian who's just been going through the motions, who's just been walking uh, without thinking and without awe and wonder that you would save them, Pull us back to the foundational truth of the gospel and may we live out of that. For there is nowhere else to go and there's no other way to truly live. Amen. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.